This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 4, for one of the last times. Uh, this is the, uh, we only got one more message in the uh, Magnify Jesus series. We've been uh, working on it since the beginning of 2020, and we're winding it down. Uh, today and next week will be the end of this series, and so hope it's been a blessing and encouragement to you. Uh, today we're taking a look at the joy of generosity. Let me start off by saying, first of all, if you're a first-time guest here at Hui Kala, thanks so much for being with us today. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Uh, we consider it a high privilege and honor that you would worship Jesus with us today. Let me say today is a little bit different of a message than what we normally preach because today I'm talking about giving. And so if you, this is your first time here and you never come back, you can say, I went to that church and the only thing that they ever talked about every time I went was giving. And that will be an accurate statement. And so, but uh, again, we don't feel weird or awkward about talking about giving because giving is just part of the Christian life. I don't feel awkward about preaching on prayer or Bible reading or holiness or righteousness because that's just what Christians do. And so as we talk, take a look at giving today, uh, I hope you take a look at what the Bible has to say about that and there's going to be some other uh, things that we can use to help us and encourage us to do that. But at the end of the day, it's not a matter of whether you agree with what I say or not. It's a matter of whether or not you agree with what the Bible has to say. And so the Bible is the gold standard for everything. Uh, it's our only authority for all matters of faith and practice is the Word of God. And so we'll take a look at what the Bible has to say today. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number, let's start in verse number 10 if you would. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now the last of your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful but lacked opportunity. Paul says, hey, you guys have taken really good care of me. Sometimes you didn't have a chance to, but now you do, and I appreciate that. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Hey, you knew that I was in a bad spot, and you helped me and encouraged me. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Hey, when I left the churches of Macedonia, you were the only people who saw that I had a financial need and sent to me, gave to me, and helped me financially. For even in Thessalonica, you did send once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. So again, verse number 18, Paul finds himself in prison, and Epaphroditus has come from Philippi and says, hey, the church of Philippi had taken up an offering for you, and now here's what they give to you as a result of that. He says, I received that. It was a blessing to me. Uh, it was a sweet-smelling uh, odor of sacrifice that you had given that was pleasing to God. Verse number 19 is a great promise from God's word that you should circle, star, underline, commit to memory. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The month of October, we received uh, donations for uh, a nonprofit organization in our community called Food for 500. And so we encourage you to bring in canned goods, toiletries, and things like that, drop them off on the back table, and then we would uh, actually uh, take those to the nonprofit that asked for them. Uh, basically, it was donations for our kapuna of our uh, community, our older folks that are uh, underprivileged or maybe uh, struggling financially, that we could be a blessing and encouragement to them. And man, you guys went all out. I mean, we had bags and bags of rice from Costco and uh, toilet paper and, and paper towels and tons of canned goods and food and things like that. Uh, the, the lady that came over from the nonprofit to accept it, the Christian nonprofit uh, uh, that we worked with, she came over and she was driving like a, a Jeep Liberty SUV and she opened up the trunk and her trunk was literally about this big. Like if you had a suitcase and we're going to the airport, it wouldn't fit in the back of her SUV. And she says, hey, you can just put everything back here. And I said, I think you're going to have to lay the seats down. And she was like, are you sure? I'm totally sure. And so we laid down the seats in our Jeep Liberty and filled it up to the top and sticking bags in the front seat. I mean, you guys went above and beyond. And, and what you see on there is just a, a portion of what we uh, had the opportunity to be able to be a part of. Uh, part of that is ours is what I'm saying. And so they had another uh, uh, group that had gotten together and packaged it up, and they took it to the uh, elderly in our community and dropped it off with them and, and bags of uh, things that they uh, took. I think we've got photos of that if you want to run through the photos right quick. Uh, just taking it to people's door, doors and dropping them off, letting them know that there are people in our community that care about them and love them. And, and again, you and I got to be a part of that. What a privilege uh, to be able to do that. Every year for Christmas, we, get to, we go to Kahala Mall and we go to the Salvation Army uh, Angel Tree. And we get uh, probably anywhere from 50 to 100 Salvation Army Angels for kids in our community who uh, need presents for Christmas. And we always run out of those every single year. Well, there was a time uh, one year where we had, had gone a little bit above and beyond. Our church was averaging about 100 or so at the time, early days of Huikala, and we went big. We got like 25 and thought, man, that's a quarter of our church. If, if every family took one, uh, that's a quarter of our church, of, of the people that attend our church. Within, within minutes, all 25 of those were gone. We went back that afternoon, got 25 more. Those 25 were gone by the end of the night. And it just goes to show that people desire to give and again, things like canned food drives, you're helping out uh, kids at Christmas and things like that, those aren't even necessarily Christian things that get done, but I believe that Christians should lead the way in giving things like that. We should be a generous people because our Father has been incredibly generous to us. Now, most of us can get on board with things like a canned food drive and uh, maybe a Christmas uh, toys for kids and things along those lines, where things can sometimes take an awkward turn when people come to church is when we begin to talk about your giving on a regular basis to the church financially. Then sometimes people get a little bit weirded out by that, and they say, well, you know, the church just wants my money, or the church wants my pocketbook, or they're just trying to enrich themselves and things like that. Let me just tell you, if you've ever heard bad teaching on giving, you are 100% right for feeling that way. Because there's, there's good teaching and bad teaching, from, even from Christianity, uh, when it comes to what God expects of us. And, and so hopefully today you're going to get some good teaching and we'll dispel some bad myths that are out there or some bad motivations for sure when it comes to giving. But, but here's the fact of the matter when it comes down to it. We as Christians are just simply required to give. And so we give because we're commanded to give first and foremost. God has been generous with us. He asks us that we're generous with others. And then we also give to him what he expects from us. And so uh, generosity is just part and parcel of being a Christian. Again, some of the richest people on the planet, spiritually and many times financially, are going to be Christians. Uh, 
again, us in the United States of America, the richest nation in all of world civilization, one of the richest nations in all of world civilization is where you and I call home. That's because we have been incredibly, incredibly blessed. Now, again, from the beginning of time, Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelation, giving to God is an act of worship. Now, again, we might not have a problem at giving a gift to someone at Christmas time or maybe even helping out someone in need, but sometimes people say, well, what does God need from me? Now, let me just tell you for this from the get-go. God doesn't need anything from you. Uh, God is not broke. Uh, God is not looking for somebody to help him pay his bills, and so he needs you to chip in a little bit. I also want to tell you from a, from a uh, kind of an introductory standpoint is what we're taking a look at today. I'm not asking you to give because our church needs the money. I'm asking you to give in obedience to the Lord. I didn't even know this was a thing, and this goes to show how sheltered I am, but uh, I was listening to a podcast, I did some research online, and I found that many churches run at a deficit with their budget all year long on purpose. And then the months of November and December, at the end of the year, they make a big financial push for giving at the end of the year to cover all of their expenses from the beginning of the year. That's terrible financial management. And you know, you can't pay your household bills like that. That's just a bad, bad, bad idea. And let me just tell you this. Our church has zero dollars in debt. We don't owe nobody a single nickel, okay? We have no debt whatsoever. All of our bills are paid on time and have been for eight plus years. We've never been late on a single solitary bill. We have a good uh, chunk of money uh, in the bank as far as savings is concerned. Uh, we send thousands of dollars to missionaries every single month. So let me just tell you this. This is not a, a plea for a capital campaign or to, a fundraising speech here. Uh, we don't have a thermometer that we're going to cover in with, with a red marker up here. You slap because you know you've seen it. it this, is not that kind of, this is not that kind of party, okay? Here's the thing. I'm not asking you to give because there's a big financial need. If there was, I would let you know. But that's not the reason why I want you to give. I want you to give because it's what God commands you, and it's real, legitimate, heartfelt worship to give. And so that's what we'll take a look at today. Now, have there been times in the past where we've needed to raise money for things? For sure. When we moved into this building uh, four years ago, uh, we had uh, moved in here, but our uh, air conditioning wasn't finished yet. And we needed to raise $65,000 in four weeks to finish our air conditioning. And God provided like $75,000 in four weeks. That's how good God is. And so, but this is not a time where I'm asking you to give because there's a need. I'm asking you to give because God expects you and I to be obedient. Now, when we look at the tithe, and again, sometimes people have a problem with the word tithe. Uh, and again, we're just going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about that. But when we talk about the tithe, the tithe is 10% of your income that you get. And when it comes to the tithe, from the beginning of time, God has expected the tithe. Sometimes people say, well, the, the tithe was just an Old Testament law thing. That now that we're under grace and not the law any longer, the tithe isn't a requirement. But we find that even before... Uh, there was the Mosaic Law in the book of Exodus, and really Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy. We find Abraham, uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 14, gave tithes to the priest Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was what we sometimes refer to as a Christophany. I'm going to do some deep dive theological research this week. Look up Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so we see here Melchizedek, the priest, was an Old Testament uh, appearance of Christ. 
and Abraham tithed to him of everything that he had. We also find Jacob makes a commitment to tithe of everything that he has, again, prior to the law. So when, we, when you hear people say, well, the tithing is an Old Testament law thing, that's not necessarily the case. It always has been. Also, the tithe wasn't optional. It was mandatory. Think of it as a temple tax. It was a requirement before you could ever give a free will offering to God that you were paid up on your, quote, taxes with the temple. That was the tithe. The first 10% belonged to God. And, and regardless of how you got paid, the first 10% of what you got paid, you brought to the temple as an offering to the Lord. Now, that offering was used for the, uh, the Levites, who were the, the pastors, if you will, or the priests of the temple at that time. It was also responsible for the upkeep of the temple. And so we see kind of a New Testament principle of that and the fact that our tithes and offerings go to fund our local church and the work that we do here in the mission of the church here in Honolulu. But the tithe in the Old Testament wasn't optional. Uh, you either gave it or you were uh, standing in violation of God's word. In Malachi chapter 3, uh, God tells Malachi, hey, go tell the people that they have robbed me. And the people are like, what are you talking about? Wherein have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and offerings. So God goes so far as to say, when you withhold your giving from God, you're actually stealing from him. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of a big deal. Now, I, in my, my past uh, former uh, unregenerate life, have stolen from God. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, my parents would always give me money to, to uh, go to Sunday school and, and give in the offering. I think it's important that we teach our kids to give. And so usually every Sunday, whether it be 50 cents or a dollar, they would give me to give in the offering in Sunday school. And so uh, I, I would give every single week. But then I got the idea that, hey, I'm like eight years old. I don't really have a source of income right now, but... I have money passing through my hands every week, right? And so whether I give 50 cents or 25 cents, nobody really knows the difference, do they? No. They, they didn't keep a giving statement and I turned that into my parents. My parents used that to reconcile whether or not I actually gave it or not. Nobody knows. So I got this idea that if they give me 50 cents, I'm going to keep a quarter for myself and put a quarter in the offering basket. But if I get a dollar, it would be weird to put a dollar in and like take 50 cents out, <laughs> right? So I'll just pocket the dollar. And so then I got my own little uh, money-making scheme going on. I'm making some money as an uh, eight-year-old. And then um, but I made a big mistake. Great miscalculation. Uh, our family had gone to uh, Dairy Queen uh, for lunch after church one Sunday. And uh, we eat, eat, uh, eat lunch. And I asked my parents afterwards, can I get ice cream? And they said no. And I, wanted, I really wanted, back in the day, some of you might not know this, but Dairy Queen had an agreement not with Oreo, but with Hydrox. Does anybody remember Hydrox cookies? Like fake Oreo cookies? And so you didn't get an Oreo blizzard at, at Dairy Queen. You got a Hydrox blizzard at Dairy Queen. And that was bad. I don't know if they still do it, turn it upside down, but they, they turn it upside down, right? And so I asked my parents, can I get a blizzard for dessert? And they said no. And here's where I messed up. But I can pay with my own money. And my parents say, where did you get money from? Oh, yeah, about that. Um, and so I, I just had it. I, I've been saving. Saving from what? Uh, I, um, I just, I've been saving, you know? And I'm telling you this. I don't remember to this day a lot of spankings that I got in my life, but that was one of the ones that I greatly remember because my parents sat me down. Not only have you been stealing from us, but you've been stealing from God. And I remember to think of myself as an eight-year-old kid, like, I have stolen from God. Like, how bad does it get, right? <laughs> for what? For ice cream? 
But here's the thing. God says that if you're not giving consistently, regularly, proportionate, you're stealing from God. And for what? Maybe not ice cream, but a nicer car, more comfortable living, stuff, credit cards. Like, what is it that would cause you to steal from God? So again, when we take a look at the tithe, historically throughout the Bible, giving to God is never optional for the Christian. It's always a requirement. While there's no New Testament mandate for the tithe, sometimes people want to argue about tithing and say it's not a New Testament thing. Okay, I'll give you that the, we're never commanded in the New Testament to give the tithe. Now, Jesus speaks of the tithe, and he basically says, hey, the Pharisees give a tithe. You should also give the tithe, but also uh, do the things that they're not doing as well. And so Jesus speaks of the tithe in a favorable sense. But again, you want to you get down to the brass tax of it. It was before the cross and before Jesus Christ had fulfilled the law for per se. And so if you want to say that tithing isn't necessarily a New Testament uh, thing, I probably wouldn't fight you on it, okay? But here's the thing. I will argue with you that while tithing might not be in the New Testament, first fruit giving is from the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you can't get around that. Secondly, the commandment that Paul gives to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you cannot get around where he says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. You can't get around that. So first of all, our giving is to be a regular giving, consistent giving. Sometimes people say, well, I just give as the Lord leads. I don't know about you, but if I gave as the Lord leaves, leads, it probably wouldn't be 52 times a year. It'd probably be like once a month, twice a month, once every other month. But the Bible says in this case here, every first day of the week, the first day of the week being Sunday, and again, some people have asked before, well, I get paid every two weeks. Does that mean I should split my tithe up into to weekly uh, installments? I don't think that's the spirit of this. I think the spirit is we're not just giving willy-nilly whenever we feel like it. We give consistently and regularly. That's the idea. So regular giving. Next, it is uh, all-inclusive giving. Let every one of you. So whether you're a kid, uh, whether you're uh, a single mom, whether you're a couple, Every single person should give. That's, again, why we teach our kids. Hey, if grandma sends you 10 bucks for your, your birthday, $1 of that belongs to God, and you should give it on Sunday. Automatically, uh, from the, the beginning, because it says, every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Next, it's to be proportional giving. Proportional giving meaning that it's in proportion to what you've received. And so, again, in this case here, it does not necessarily say 10%, but it says as God hath prospered you. So if you've gotten a lot this week, you give a lot this week. If you've gotten a little this week, you give a little. If you've gotten nothing, you are required to give nothing in this particular case. And again, it's giving, let them lay by him in store. And so that's the idea behind that. And so again, while you might not be able to make a case for tithing in the New Testament, you cannot get around the fact that it has to be regular, consistent, all-inclusive, every person proportional giving to the Lord through his church. Now again, the church at Corinth was commanded to give their offerings at the church at Corinth. Uh, they didn't find some uh, preacher on uh, TV or some preacher that was over in another city, uh, something like that, that they sent their tithe to. They tithed through their local church. Again, because our tithes and our offerings support our local body of believers and the work that we do here. So again, you might not be able to make a case for, uh, for uh, tithing, but you cannot get around the idea of first fruit giving. And again, first fruit giving was this idea that the first 10% of what I get belongs to God automatically. And so if, I, if I'm a farmer and I harvest a, a corn crop, before I take that 
corn crop and distribute it, I take the first 10% of it, my crop, and I drop that off at the temple. Now, if you raise cattle, please don't try to tithe in cattle. That would just be an administrative nightmare for us, okay? And so most of us get paid in dollars and cents, and so we give in dollars and cents. Uh, and so, now, does that mean that you couldn't tithe according to, you know, uh, livestock? I guess you could if you needed to, and we can definitely make provision for that. But the idea is this, that first 10% always belonged to God before anybody else got theirs. And again, I've heard before people say, well, should we tithe on the, the gross income or the net income? And again, if you go back to bad teaching that I've heard, I've heard people say, well, do you want God's gross blessings or do you want his net blessings? And it's just like, I think that's the wrong question to ask. Is it first fruit giving or is it giving after everybody else has gotten their cut? And so, again, I don't give after Uncle Sam's taking his cut and the state of Hawaii's taking their cut and uh, Medicare and Social Security taking their cut and I've fully funded my uh, IRA for this pay period and then whatever's left over, I tithe off of that. I want to give to God the first portion of what I have uh, that I get because we give to God first, not last. Angela and I, there are times where we weren't even walking with Jesus the way that we should have, weren't attending church regularly, but we tithed because we knew that it was the right thing to do. We gave. And again, we had a thousand and one other problems we needed to fix in our marriage. But for us, giving just was one of those things that we never questioned. My dad uh, is, uh, was always self-employed as a kid growing up. He owns a body shop in Kentucky. And I remember every single week of the, the world as a kid growing up, my dad would go down uh, on Sunday morning. He'd sit in his office of, of his body shop. He'd open up the big checkbook and he would write out his tithe check and he would put it in his left breast pocket. And I remember my, seeing them pass the offering basket in the choir. I remember seeing my dad every Sunday of the world take his tithe check out and put it in the offering basket. And I got the idea as a kid. Grandma gives you $10, a dollar that belongs to God, and mom and dad tithe too. And that made an impression on me so much that when Angela and I first got married, even though we weren't walking with Jesus, we always put God first in our finances. And so again, for us, when we put together a budget, and I hope you have a budget, because if you don't, we can help you get that, all right? When we put together a budget, line item one always is our giving to the Lord through our local church, 100% of the time, without fail, because we want to give to God first, not last. I don't want to give God uh, what, whatever I get after the end of my budget, but he always comes first. And let me just tell you, there were times in our life and marriage that we were just flat out broke, but the tithe was one of those things that was just non-negotiable. Uh, it's one of those things that we're going to give it regardless of how bad our situation is. There were times where, uh, and again, life comes down to priorities. And for us, we made a decision, again, totally up to you on how you want to live your life and make your priorities, but we made a decision. While we have kids at home, my wife should be at home and should be a mom to our kids. It was a priority for us. What did that mean? We had to align our finances so that we were a one-income family. You know what that meant? That meant we had a beat-up Ford Windstar minivan with like 200,000 miles on it that we drove into the ground because we have to get by on one income. When, we were, uh, when, when our kids were, were smaller, our boys, we, we told our kids how much fun it is to go camping. And so our family vacation that year was camping, not because we love the great outdoors, because frankly, uh, I'd rather have some place with a hot tub and uh, A.C., but KOA, we could get a campground space to put a tent for $15 a night. And so we can go on vacation for like 60 bucks for the whole week. Sign us up for that. And we'll say it's fun because we get to grill hot dogs and stuff. No, we were just broke. But here's the thing. We could have driven nicer cars. 
we could have taken bigger vacations if we hadn't tithed and if I'd put my wife to work. We could have a lot more stuff. But there were priorities for us. We say, this is the most important thing. And so I say that now. Have I put God first in my life and every other area of my life? No, I haven't. But for us, historically, for over two decades, number one thing in our financial giving is always our giving to the Lord. That's kind of a non-negotiable. Again, Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Uh, so again, when I receive something that I wasn't expecting, I'm going to tithe off of that. Uh, if I get a, you know, a rebate check from where I overpaid on my electricity bill, I'm going to tithe off of that. If somebody sends me, hey, I was thinking of you and sent me a check for $50, I'm going to tithe off of that because it's the first fruits of all of my increase. And so if God increases me, I give to him based on that. And again, we want to give to God what the, what's the best, not what's left over. And so Malachi, again, has a, a unique opportunity as God's prophet to go to the children of Israel and talk to them about the way that they're stealing from God, about their, their terrible uh, testimony as far as their giving is concerned. And what Malachi says in Malachi chapter 1, verse number 8, he says, if you offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? God commands that the sacrifices that were given to him were uh, a, a lamb of the firstborn, that it be without blot or, or uh, spot or blemish, that it not be, have any time, anything that's wrong with it of any sort. But the children of Israel kind of got away from that, and they said, hey, we got this three-legged sheep that nobody knows what to do with. Let's just give that to God. He won't know the difference. Hey, we got a, a blind sheep. Let's just give that to God. He won't know the difference. Hey, we don't have any sheep, so what do we got that we could actually give to God? And so they began to get, give God basically their leftovers, and God says, I'm not interested in that. And so, uh, again, Malachi 1.8, God says, if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Sometimes people say, well, you know, all I can afford to give is, is, is five bucks a week to the Lord, and so I'm just going to give five dollars and call that good. Imagine going to the IRS and saying, hey, guys, I can't really afford my taxes this month, so I'm just going to give you five dollars, and we're just going to call that good. You say, well, that wouldn't work. I'm going to say to the state of Hawaii, I'm not paying state taxes anymore because I can't afford it. I'm just going to give $5 a week to my state taxes, and we're just going to have to call that good. Malachi is saying to the children of Israel, you wouldn't pass that off with the government. How do you think that you can do that to God as well? And so here again, we see uh, the requirement that God has for us to give. So again, we see that it's regular, proportionate, all-inclusive giving. So then the question comes, well, what is the proportion that I should give in the New Testament? Okay, the Old Testament had the tithe, and we're not commanded to give the tithe of the tenth part uh, in the New Testament. What portion are we required to give? I remember I had a, uh, a barber uh, in uh, Cal California, and then uh, we sat down, we were talking, and I uh, sh was sharing the gospel with him. He told me that he was a Christian, although the things he'd already said and his lifestyle that he was living didn't back that up. I'm not saying he wasn't a Christian. His lifestyle just didn't back it up. And I asked him, I said, well, where do you attend church? And he says, well, I'm not really big on organized religion. And that statement always catches me as strange, but like, because like, are you into disorganized religion? Is that kind of your thing? Or I'm not sure how that works. Says, I'm not really into organized religion. I got what he meant. And he says, uh, you know, but I, I do believe in tithing. I'm sorry, come again? I, I believe in tithing. Uh, and here's the thing for me. If you know me, you know I've got a sarcastic streak and I love to be a smart aleck. And I'm like, come again, tell me more of this tithing thing that you do to share. I, I legitimately had no idea what he was talking about. Dude, tell me about tithing. I don't know anything about it. Oh, it's just the idea of where you give 10% to God. Oh, yeah. I said, sometimes we call that tithing. He's, tithing, tithing, it's all the same. Okay, 
tithing it is. Uh, let's talk about tithing. I said, I said, well, it's strange to me. I said, if you don't go to church, where do you tithe? <laughs> tithe? Is that a word? I don't know. Tithing definitely is it. Where do you, where do you tithe if you don't go to church? And he says, well, it's not so much a financial transaction as I really just give 10% of myself to the Lord. Oh, that sounds super spiritual, man. Um, and you think to yourself, and so I said, let me ask you this. And again, now, now my sarcastic side has turned. Uh, and I said, how do you know when you've given 10% of yourself or when you've given like 12% of yourself? And he said, well, you know, I just kind of keep a, like a mental gauge of like my time and my, my thoughts and, and things like that. And so I give God 10%, not just of my money, but of my whole self. Oh, would well, you give 10% of your money? He said, no, I don't do that. Okay, good. So <laughs> I said, well, that's the thing about God. God doesn't want your pocketbook because he's not broke. God wants your whole heart and your whole person. And so while it sounds good to have say, give God 10% of your whole self, God actually asks for 100% of your whole self. And he's like, oh. And the conversation got really awkward, as you can imagine. And so I just invited him to church. He never came, and I found a different barber. Uh, and so, but, uh, but I, I thought that strange that, that somebody out there thought, first of all, that 10% of yourself is, was a good gift to God. God expects 100% of you, Okay. And God requires 10% of what he gives you and puts in your hand. Now, that means you get to steward or keep for yourself 90% and manage it on behalf of God uh, in a way that would honor and please him. But how much should we give according to the New Testament? Well, there's not any hard and fast rule, but we gather principles from the Bible. So while the Bible doesn't tell us, hey, according to the New Testament, you give you know, 15%, 20%, 25%, or 2%, doesn't make it that easy on us, and it doesn't command us to tithe, what should we do? Well, here's what we find about the New Testament is that Jesus calls New Testament believers to a higher standard than what was previously set in the law. If you read through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is just an absolute masterpiece, if you can imagine sitting on a rock while the Word of God preaches the Word of God, like mind-blowing, I can imagine, Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says. Hey, you've heard before that you shouldn't kill. And everybody's like, yeah, murder is so bad. I'm telling you that if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart and call him an ugly word, you're guilty of murder in your heart towards your brother because you're going to take a step up over what the law said. Hey, you know that adultery is bad. Yeah, yeah, adultery is bad. I can imagine people in the back going, yeah, amen, Jesus preached it. Adultery is bad. I'm telling you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. I imagine the amens like went silent, you know. Higher standard for you guys now. Oh, okay. Hey, you know that Abraham told, I'm sorry, Moses told you before that if you wanted to be divorced, all you had to do was write a letter to your wife and you could be divorced? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm telling you that if you put away your wife for any reason other than fornication or sexual sin, you cause her to commit adultery and you commit adultery as well. We're taking a step up in the requirement for you as New Testament believers now. So we never see Jesus dialing back the requirements for New Testament believers. And so we look at that and we say, okay, well, Jesus holds us to a higher standard then. And I believe it could definitely be said that we that have received God's grace are no longer under the law. We're indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God and we live in one of the wealthiest civilizations in all of human history should desire to do more, not less. I haven't done a lot of research on what the median family income for the average Jewish family was during this time, 
but I imagine it probably wasn't $60,000 a year. So that being said, I would say that there's probably every single person in this room is probably more wealthy than the average person that Jesus talked to at this time. The first century Christians, I imagine, didn't live in as nice of houses as you and I uh, actually live in. I doubt they had the creature comforts that you and I have. I doubt they ate the type of food that you and I would eat. And so what, these Christians would have been held to a higher standard than you and I? I don't think so. I think that we, because we've been blessed with more, more is going to be required from us. It's a biblical principle as well. The Bible says, to whom much is given, of him much shall be required. You thought that was Peter Parker's uncle that said that, right? Some of you got that joke. But here's the thing. We as Christians should be held to a higher standard than those that were under the law because we've been given God's grace. We can, we not, here's the great part about it now. You're not compelled to give by the law. You're compelled to give by the grace of God. Hey, God's given me so much. Why wouldn't I want to give? Why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? And so we never find a place in all of Scripture where someone gives less than the tithe that it isn't considered theft. So again, we never find a place in the Bible where God commends, you know, 5% giving or 2% giving or once every other month giving or giving, quote, as the Lord leads or something like that. We always find in Scripture where the baseline giving is 10%. And so I don't believe you can find anywhere in the Bible where you could argue that the New Testament Christian should give less than 10% as far as proportionate giving is concerned. And so if you don't want to call it the tithe, that's fine. I wouldn't fight you on that. But you cannot get away from the fact that first fruit giving goes from Genesis to Revelation. And so some of you might not notice this, but I make the same statement every single year, every single Sunday, and I have every year since the beginning of our church. When it's time for the offering, I never say, folks, we've got bills to pay around here and I need you to do your part. I never say, hey, folks, if you're not giving, you're stealing from God. I never try to compel or make people feel guilty for giving or not giving. I say the same thing every single week. Hey, folks, it's time for the offering. When we used to pass an offering basket before COVID, I used to pass the offering basket. It's, it's time for the offering. Now I say, hey, whether you give online whether you give through the Hui Kala app, whether you give through the Church Center app, or whether you give through the offering baskets that our ushers have as you leave today. Please continue to be faithful in your tithes, your offerings, and your first fruit giving. I say that every single week. Because some people get uh, sideways about the word tithe. Okay, that's fine. Call it first fruit giving if you want. Just give because that's what God expects of us. Now, if we take a look at principles and precedents that are set for New Testament giving. We think of Zacchaeus, for example. Does anybody remember who Zacchaeus was? He was a, a wee little man. That's right. For those of you that don't know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Lord, he passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm coming to your house today. Man, look at you guys. You got it, right? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking to. I'll teach you later. All right, how about that? But here's what Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and everybody hated tax collectors. I don't think there's anybody in this room that enjoys paying taxes. I don't think there, none of us do, right? But I don't know that we would go so far as to say that the IRS is corrupt and crooked, and they steal from us. 
I think we say we got politicians that would probably steal from us. I think we got portions of the government that steal from us for sure. But I don't think, I think we could say, I don't like paying taxes and there's probably some corrupt stuff going on. But overall, I get it. I'm thankful that we have a fire department and, and uh, ambulances. And I'm thankful that we got roads that are paved. I'm thankful that we have uh, the finest military in all of the world. I'm thankful for all those things. And look, I don't like it, but I'll pay it. That was not taxes in New Testament times. Biblical times, these guys purposely cheated you. They found out ways to steal money from you. And because of that, they were kind of the lowest of the low. Nobody liked tax collectors. And that's what Zacchaeus was. But Zacchaeus meets Jesus and he, he's saved. And he says to, to Jesus in Luke chapter, um, where's it at? Luke chapter 19, verse number 18. And Zacchaeus said, stood and said unto the Lord. Here's what he says. Behold, Lord. Pause for just a second. The word Lord means, somebody help me, master. Hey, look, master. This shows that Zacchaeus has had a change of heart. Jesus is not some dude who's passing by who stopped by for his house for a meal. Jesus Christ now is Lord of his life. He's the master. He's the boss. He calls the shots. You you tell me what to do, and I'm just going to do it. Here's what he says. Behold, hey, look here, Lord. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore unto him fourfold. So here we see Zacchaeus giving. And he says, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. What percentage giving is that? 50%, right? Then he goes on to say, if I've taken anything from somebody that didn't, I shouldn't have, I'm going to restore it fourfold. What percentage giving is that? 400%. And so we here we see a guy who meets Jesus that his giving changes. And he gives 50% of everything that he has to the poor. And if he's done anybody wrong, 400% he's going to give as well. The next time that we see giving mentioned in, the, in the, the New Testament is when we find the widow at the temple. Everybody's walking by throwing off a couple of pennies off of their peel of $100 bills that they have. You got these Jews and and. Pharisees that are going by making a big deal of the offerings that they're giving. And Jesus says they didn't give a lot. They gave out of their abundance. But here's what he says of the the widow. Mark chapter 12, verse number 44. For they did all cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. So this widow gave what percentage in giving? 100%. All of it. She kept back nothing for herself. So again, when we look at New Testament giving and we want to look up, put in a, a proportion on it, we never see anybody commended for giving less than 10%. It's always more than that. And so again, I think baseline, safe baseline for us as Christians is at least 10% of our giving to the Lord through his church. Now, we give not only because we're commanded to, that's important, but we also give because we know of the need for the gospel. And here's the sole reason that the church exists today is to know Jesus and to make him known. Here's the fact of the matter. If you hear nothing other than what I'm getting ready to say today, you'll be be golden for it. And especially if you're a first-time guest here who we call it, don't miss out on this part because this is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life. We are born into this world as sinners. We've broken God's law. We stand in danger of God's wrath and judgment because we are sinners. I've sinned. You've sinned. We've all broken God's law. And because of that, there's consequences that must be paid. I have broken God's law, and I deserve to be punished for that, and you do too. 
Just like when you break the law, you have to pay the consequences. If you leave your car in a parking zone and you don't put money in the meter, you get a $35 parking ticket. How do you know that? I just know people who've gotten parking tickets. If you park in a red zone, like what's in front of our church, and you get a ticket there, it's $55 in a red zone. How do you know that? Experience. You break the law, you must pay the consequences. Well, I had a really good reason why I was there. They don't care about your reasons. They just know you weren't supposed to be there. So you pay the consequences. The consequences for your sin, the consequences for my sin, is hell. That's what we deserve. We deserve God's punishment. But the good news is, is God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to die and go to hell. He wants you to be forgiven. And so, but here's the fact, somebody's got to pay. He can't just let you off scot-free. Somebody must pay. And here's the good news, Jesus died in your place to pay for your sins. It would be like, I owe $55 because I parked in a red zone, and somebody walks by and peels off $55 and goes, here you go, mail it in. And my now consequences, my debt has been paid for by a third party. But you see, it's greater than that because you and I cannot pay for our own sin. You can't do enough good stuff to make all the bad you've done go away. You need a fresh start. And the only person who can provide that is Jesus. And so you need to be what the Bible calls born again or saved. And you can't be saved by going to church or doing good stuff or trying to be a good person. You're saved by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, by believing that he died for your sins, by believing that he is the only way to heaven, and by putting your faith and trust in him alone and turning from your sin and turning to Christ. It's called being born again. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There's no way for you to go to heaven apart from being saved, and you need to be saved. That message we call the gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and anyone who would trust in him can be saved. It's the best news anybody will ever hear. And that's the reason why Who We Call a Baptist Church exists. Because you needed to hear that message, and our city needs to hear that message, and our island needs to hear that message, our state needs that message, and the world needs that message. Because there's a huge need for the gospel. Keep your finger here in Philippians. We're going to come back in just a second. But flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number 8, if you would. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is challenging the church at Corinth. It was a church that he had started that had gone sideways in a hundred different directions. He challenged them in their giving. And he tells them of churches that had given to his work that he was doing to, get, to make the gospel go fur- further. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia, how in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. So verse number 2 basically says that these weren't wealthy believers. These were people that were flat broke. He calls it deep poverty and deep affliction. And so, again, if these people can give liberally or generously, I think for those of us that have been blessed, we can also give generally and liberally as well. But here's what he says, verse number four. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Verse number four says this. They saw what had taken place in their churches and in their lives. And they said, Paul, would you take our money and go do this elsewhere? 
Paul, would you take this gift that we have and go and tell other people about Jesus? This is kind of our principle that we find in the New Testament for our missions giving. We identify people around the world that are taking the gospel to places that we are not physically and asking them, would you take this money and tell other people about Jesus? Would you plant churches? Would you win people to Christ? Would you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Would you disciple them and teach them what the Bible says and then do it all over again and plant more churches? That's the idea of the Great Commission. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. But we give because there's a need of the gospel. There's a need of the gospel in our city is great. Huge need for the gospel in the city of Honolulu. Our family in 2013 moved here from California, moved back here from California for the purpose of starting who we call a Baptist church from scratch. Because we could not find a church in the city that was consistently preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, seeing people one to Christ, seeing people discipled in their faith, and growing in a healthy manner. We couldn't find it. And so we prayed that God would allow us to come and do it. But here's the thing about it. I don't know about you, but if you haven't figured out yet, Honolulu is an expensive place not only to live, but also to start something from scratch. Ultra expensive. So we knew that we couldn't afford that to do that on our own. So our family from 2012 to 2013 traveled the United States. We zigzagged it three different times for 12 months, 99 churches. And we would go to church and we would say, hey, we're the King family. I'm Anthony. That's my wife, Angela. We're going to the city of Honolulu, a city of 400,000 people in the middle of the ocean that is devoid of a solid gospel witness. It's on an island of a million people. There's a great need for the gospel in this city. Would you help us financially and would you pray for us? And of those 99 churches, about 80 of them took us on for monthly financial support so that when we landed here in July 2013, we signed a lease on this building over here and money that we did not have with five people in our church, five members of my family, that was it. But we were able to do that because of what? The missions giving of over 100 churches out there that gave on a regular basis above their tithes and offerings so that the gospel could go further. And then there came a point where we as a church says, hey, we got to start paying our own bills. So our church, through the tithes and offerings and first fruit giving of our people, began to pay our own bills. How do we afford a building in the middle of Honolulu, 7,000 square feet that's 100 yards from Alamoana Center through the tithes and offerings of God's people? How do we pay the electricity bill around here? The tithes and offerings of God's people. How do we pay payroll, insurance, and all the other expenses we have and utilities and all, the, all of it is done through the tithes and offerings of God's people? How does our discipleship program function through the tithes and offerings of God's people? How do we have all these different activities for, for guys, the tithes and offerings of, of God's people? How do we have ladies get-togethers and stuff, tithes and offerings of God's people? That's what makes the mission of our church go. And so again, it's a matter of us giving to God what he has asked of us to further his mission through our church. That's what, because the need of the gospel here in our city, great. But the need of the gospel around the world is, is great as well. It's estimated that, that half of the world's population has never heard the gospel one time. Never heard it. So to give you an idea, that's probably about three and a half billion plus people that have never heard about Jesus and what he's done for them. That's troubling. But did you know that we don't have to go to the remote rainforests of the Amazon to find people that have never heard about Jesus and what he's done for them? There's people that live 50 yards in the building right across the street from us. You just got to cross four lanes of traffic to find somebody that doesn't know about Jesus. 
You just need to look a couple of cubicles over from your desk tomorrow morning to find somebody that doesn't know about Jesus. You just need to walk down your street and find people that don't, need to, that don't know about Jesus. Folks, we live in a mission field. This is way different from other places on the mainland. If you grew up in the South like I did, uh, sometimes referred to as the Bible Belt, because just about everybody you know goes to church, grew up in church, knows about Jesus, what he did for them. But you live in a place that is devoid of a gospel witness. And sometimes you should do some research on the, uh, the Christian heritage of, of Hawaii and, and look at the, the Hawaii Missions House over on uh, Kapilani Boulevard. Fascinating uh, history that the Hawaiian Islands have of Christianity. Fascinating stuff. But hey, look, there's a huge need here. There's a big need around the world as well. And look, I can't pick up and go to Ethiopia, but I can give to a guy who's taking his family to Ethiopia, and, and we can give towards that to help the gospel go forward there. Because the gospel need there is great. We're getting ready to, uh, this month, take on two new missionaries to Nigeria, the Patrick family. Should have gotten one of those cards when he came in with all the missionaries we support. Right now we support four missions projects. I'm praying that in the next 12 months we'll be able to double that to eight different missions projects that we support. The Patrick family, they're, they're new uh, to, to Nigeria. Been there for about three months. And are planning on planning churches and discipling people uh, in the city of Abuja, Nigeria. I can't get to Abuja this week, but they can. And so I want to pray for them, and I want to support them financially. And we'll take, talk more about the missionaries that we support next week and things like that. We have the, uh, the Kopiat family that's in Papua New Guinea. They're planting churches and using medical missions as an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with people. And we have Youth for Christ, which helps us to get into our local high schools here and hold public school Bible clubs that te- teach kids about Jesus and share the gospel. We passed out copies of Paid in Full. Uh, we've passed out Bibles in public schools, and they, they welcome us. And, and we're thankful for that. We want to partner with people that are taking the gospel to the local schools. And so every dollar that we give through this church that's earmarked missions goes into the hands of a missionary. We don't keep any of that back for administrative costs. We don't say, well, the mission's really here, and so we'll keep missionary funds here. No, 100% of missionary funds goes into the hand of one of these four people that are out there getting it done. Because the gospel need is great. We have a, a short video. Uh, the, the longer video of this, I, I got the opportunity to talk to Garen and Annalise this past week. They're in uh, Nigeria. Uh, we talked for about 20 minutes or so. The entire video is available on the Hui Kala app if you want to watch it. Uh, but I want to show you just like a quick three-minute e- excerpt of our, our conversation, just kind of give you an idea of what's going on there in Nigeria. So we see the need for the gospel in Nigeria, need for the gospel here in Honolulu, and really around the world as well. If you, again, if you want to watch the full video, about 20 minutes, we talk back and forth, uh, you can do that through the Hui Call app this week as well. But we give because we're commanded to. We give because we love the gospel and we want the gospel to go further. But really we give at the end of the day because uh, God is worthy of our, our worship. He's worthy of our praise. Me and my son uh, Vanderlei had a, a fellow's trip this past uh, week. I think it was a Tuesday night he and I went out. And uh, we hit the, the holy trifecta of guys' places to go. We went first of all to Costco, then we went to Lowe's, and then we went to Home Depot. Like, that's like dude places to go, right? And those are all three places that you go in thinking, I'm going to buy this one thing, and you come out with all this stuff that you didn't really actually need, but you really do need. Uh, and so uh, we had a good time. And then after, just, hey, man, let's, let's grab something for dinner. And so we went through the drive-thru at Panda Express. And I love Panda Express for the first 15 minutes that you eat it, and then after that, it's always just filled with lots of regret. I don't know if it's the MSG that catches up with you or what, but uh, I love it in the first part. So we went to... Uh, it's Pan Express. We're in the drive-thru, and I, or, I ordered for us. And at the end, the lady says, um, would you like to donate to Kapilani uh, Women and Children's Hospital? I said, sure. And she said, how much? I said, $5. She said, okay. And then we drive on, and, and Van goes, oh, they got you, didn't they? I go, what do you mean? 
And he was just like, oh, they just asked you to give to some random charity, and you did it. No, no, it wasn't random at all. I said, your sister was in the hospital for four weeks earlier this year, and the, those people t- took her from almost dying to healthy, walked out of the hospital on her own two feet. So, like, hey, I got great respect for that hospital and all the work that they've done. And, man, $5? I mean, that's, that's nothing, you know? I mean, in a, it's not like I'm giving $5 to the Humane Society, you know? It's like, I don't care whether you put down cats or not. Uh, but <laughs> I... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Carrie, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Carrie has a cat sanctuary, so uh, sorry. But, but again, okay, let, library books for children, okay? I wouldn't give $5 to library books for children because they take Dr. Seuss out of the libraries, and I'm for that, right? Uh, but, but again, I'm not giving to some random off the wall. I'm giving to something that is worthy. Hey, you saved my kid's life. $5 at the Panda Express drive through seems like a drop in the bucket. Like, how much do you want? How much is, is that worth to me? Everything that I got. Why? Because I received value from what they added to my life. Therefore, I could give $10,000 and it probably wouldn't be enough. But by the same token, we look at our relationship with God of the, quote, value that we've received from God. And if anyone is worthy of our giving, it's got to be the Lord. How much? 10%? That, that's just barely getting started. From what I've received, from what God's done for me, 10%? Like, can I give above and beyond that? Yeah. Should I? Absolutely. That's why for us, that's kind of the baseline of our giving. We want to give towards missions projects. We, give, we have a building fund here at Huicala that we don't talk about a lot, but we're saving for a down payment that if God gives us the opportunity to buy this building one day, that we're financially ready for it. But we want to give because God is worthy of our giving. If there's any cause to give to, it would be giving to the kingdom. And our giving is always an indication of our heart. Jesus says again in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I can take a look at your online banking statement and find out what your priorities are. If you have a $800 a month car payment and you spend $400 a month in car insurance and you give $10 a week to the Lord, I know exactly where your priorities are at. You don't even have to tell me. I know. And again, for Angela and I, there was a time where we had to recognize that our financial priorities had to line up with what we said our priorities were. And so again, it's a matter of aligning our priorities along with what God says is important. And giving always indicates where our heart's at, always, 100% of the time. That's why your motives in giving are really important to God, because God's not looking for donors. He's looking for disciples. That statement is really cute, and it's not original with me. I can't remember where I read it, but I thought it was really important. God doesn't just look for people who can fund his mission. He's looking for people who will follow him with their whole heart. And because of that, motives are really important. I'm never going to try to scare you into giving. I think that's dangerous. When people say like, oh, if you don't tithe, you're going to be broke. Well, now I'm trying to to scare people into giving because I'm going to be broke if I don't give. Hey, you might give and you'll still be broke because you're not managing your finances right. I don't, I don't, I, one time I heard a pastor say, uh, and again, b- talk about bad teaching on giving. His pastor says, God's always going to get what he deserves and what you owe him. And whether you give it to him or whether he takes it, he's going to get it one way or another. And if you don't tithe, the transmission is going to go out on your car and God's going to get his tithe if he has to get it through your transmission. And I thought to myself, I've been tithing, I've lost two transmissions on my cars. Right? What does that have to do with anything? Like, like, I'm tithing, and uh, the transmission went out on my van. You know, we, we had folks in our church one time that their transmission went out on their van on the way to church, and they were some of the most 
extravagant givers in our entire church. That just doesn't line up with what God says in the Bible. God says, you don't want to honor me? I'm not going to honor you, that's for sure. You don't want to obey me? I don't have any obligation to bless you. But please understand, we don't give because we're scared. We don't give because we think we're going to get. And again, where the prosperity gospel goes wrong, and the fact that, oh, if you sow a seed, God's going to bring you back a, a hundredfold increase. And if you give a dollar, God's going to give you back a hundred. If you give $10,000, God's going to give you back a million. That's garbage. God is not an idle giver. And let me just tell you this, you might give and have less financially, but if you give with the right heart, you'll have more than you can handle spiritually speaking, that's for sure. Guaranteed, because your contentment is found in Christ, not in the stuff that you have or the things that you can buy. And so it comes down to God's not looking for somebody to fund his mission. He's looking for obedient disciples. And I I love what, what God says, I think it's in the Psalms, where he says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. In other words, if God needed something, he doesn't need you or I to accomplish it. He's God. <laughs> and that, that phrase always strikes me as, as, as funny. as like God says, if I hungered, I wouldn't ask you for something to eat. If I was thirsty, I wouldn't ask you for something to drink. Like, like God's going to say, hey, Anthony, could you make me a sandwich? And it's like, oh, sure, God. You want chunky or creamy peanut butter? And I know God would choose chunky because that's what all spiritual people choose. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But like the thought of God like asking me for something because he's broke or because he needs something, it's like, that's foolish. God wants you and I to be a part of what he's doing. I'm delighted by the fact that I get to give to the gospel going to the, the bush in Papua New Guinea. I love that. I love the fact that my mission's dollars get to touch women, children, boys, girls, and men in Ethiopia. I love it. Because God wants disciples uh, two weeks ago, I received an email from Josh Lovegrove, our missionary to Ethiopia. And in his, his email, he basically sent it out to all the churches that financially support them. He says, hey, so we'd like to get some nice folding chairs for our church. They're a fairly new church. And he says, uh, you know, we've got about 100 or so people that are coming and, and kids on top of that. And so he said, right now, people are kind of sitting in whatever they can sit on. Some people are sitting on the floor and things like that. I'd like to get 100 nice folding chairs for our church. And he said, the cost of these, I've, I've figured out the cheapest that I can get them, $2,000. And so if you'd like to give towards this fund of, of putting chairs in our church, uh, let me know and I'll tell you where to send the money. And the second that I got that, I picked up the phone, I called my friend Chris Chavik in San Diego and I said, hey, Josh Lovegrove in Ethiopia needs chairs. It's $2,000. Do you want to split it? He says, sure, I'll send you a check. Done. And I hung up the phone and in 10 seconds, I sent Josh an email back and says, hey, we're taking care of all your church chairs. We just sent you a check. You know, I love that. You know why? Because we get to, like, you and I, through our missions giving, got to put chairs in a church in the middle of Ethiopia. How good is that? Like, somebody's going to set up nice, matching chairs to worship Jesus with a bunch of people that didn't have a church six months ago. I get to do that. Sign me up. I love it. I get to be a part of a church where people are hearing the gospel every single week. Where this morning at the 8 o'clock service, a man walked out, and I said, hey, I saw you raise your hand that you didn't know for sure that you're saved. He goes, yeah, I've already got an appointment with the guy this week. Here's his name, who's going to sit down with me and tell me everything that I need to know. I love that I get to be a part of a church that does that. Sign me up for that. What, I get to give towards people hearing the gospel? Yeah. That's what God's looking for. People who will gladly engage the kingdom work. And you see, God's given you his resources to advance his kingdom, and the blessings that he gives are simply a collateral benefit. 
Look, you might think that you work a job and you work really hard and you get all this money to fund your lifestyle. You've just misunderstood the Bible. If you're a Christian and you're a child of God, you get money in your pocket to advance the kingdom and God allows you to enjoy the, the fruit of his labor. Again, according to the book of James, every good and every perfect gift that you have came from your Father in heaven. And so if you got $5 this week, you got $5,000 this week. Every dollar of that came from the Lord. And again, He expects you to give back to Him, and He allows you to keep a portion of that to steward for Him. Now, please make no mistake that it's not like 10% of your finances belong to God and 90% belongs to you. A hundred of it belongs to God. You're just managing on his behalf. And I don't want to do anything with it that would displease him. I don't want to do anything with him that would be disobedient. I don't want to do anything with it that would go against his kingdom and what he's trying to accomplish. I just want to please my father. That's it. And man, if I get to drive a nice car, what a benefit of being able to serve the king of kings and lord of lords. If I have a nice place to live, and again, it's, it's not a, a sin to have nice things. If I get those things, and I'm still able to be faithful to the king, man, God's good. And so, again, I would caution you with this. It's not a sin to have nice things, but it's, ha- it's a sin to have nice things when you're doing it at the expense of the kingdom. You want to take what belongs to God and funnel that over to a new truck payment? You want to steal from God and, and outfit your, your house with new furniture? I would say that's a sin. But again, if, if you give, I, I found that the most generous people generally don't care about what kind of car they drive how big their house is, what school their kids go to, I find that they just find joy in giving. And you might say, well, giving's not really my gift. Good, then develop it. If Jesus Christ was generous, I want to be generous. I want to give. I want to help. If somebody has a need, I want to meet it because that's the heart of our Father. And anything that I get to keep for myself, man, that's just a collateral benefit of how good my Father is. Next, we have to steward God's resources in accordance with His guiding principles. Again, the portion that God allows me to steward for him, that 90% that's mine that I get to steward or manage for him, I want to do it in accordance with his principles. Again, I want to be generous. I want to help those in need. Again, we're taking a look in James chapter 2 where, where James says, hey, if you just pat somebody on the head when they have a need and send them away, you don't have a real legitimate faith because faith gives. It's generous. Love always gives and turn back to, if you're over in 2 Corinthians, turn back to Philippians chapter 4, final verse today. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19. I love this. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And here's the good thing. If we do what God says, he promises to provide for all of our needs according to not our riches, but his. According to his riches. You see, I'm not looking at my bank account trying to figure out how I'm going to make it happen. I'm trusting in the Lord's provision. I'm trusting on God to provide for me and meet my need. He's going to take care of me as long as I'm obedient to him. Now, it's important to understand this promise in verse number 19 is given to a church that is already faithfully giving. You can't be stingy, steal from God, and not give and not live an obedient Christian life and then expect God to provide all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That promise that was given was a conditional promise that was given based on the fact that these people were already being generous with what they had. This is a church that Paul hadn't been at in nearly 10 years, but they were continuing to give him financial sustenance to be able to do the work of the gospel. 
And so again, God promises to provide every single need that you have according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And let me just tell you this. I know my father, and he is a lavish giver. He's so good. He's so generous. I don't know about if you, as a kid, but you had that relative that you, like, when Christmas presents came, you want to open theirs first because, you know, like, they always, like, hook you up, you know. Whether it's that uncle, you know, who made up for the fact he never was really around but sent really, really lavish gifts, and you're like, oh, I'm going to open that one first because that's going to be the good one. That's our father. Like, whatever he gives, you're like, oh, I want that because I know that's the good one. But you know, the funny thing about it is, is many times Christians don't want what the Father has to offer because they think the world's things are more attractive. They want to find their fulfillment in the things of this world, and they do that, and they forfeit the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the meekness, the faith, the temperance that's given in the Holy Spirit. They forfeit that because they're chasing after the things of the world. Our Father says, no, I've got everything that you need, and I'm going to shower you with blessings. He even tells the, the, the uh, Jews in Malachi, hey, look, if you just tithe the way that I say for you to, just wait and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you will not even be able to receive it. Just test me, try me. Now again, it's Old Testament uh, commandment given to the Jews, but there's a New Testament application for us. God is a debtor to no men. Obey God and wait to see his blessings. Now again, poor teaching on giving. I've, I've heard people before say like, take the 90-day tithing challenge. And if God doesn't, if you tithe for 90 days and God doesn't provide a blessing for you, then, then we'll give you all your tithe back. I think that's a bunch of rubbish. I just do. Just personal opinion because first of all, tithing isn't a contest that you enter that we have to give you guidelines and rules and, and give you disclaimers for. Second of all, if you give the tithe to the Lord, it's not mine or a church's to give back. That belongs to God. That's God's money. We don't get to return it if you're not satisfied. Third, nobody is really going to go back and say, hey, God didn't bless me in 90 days. Can I have my money back? So I think the whole thing is just wrong all, all the way around. I'll just tell you this. Hey, just obey the Bible. And then what? You'll be blessed. Eh? What kind of promises are you making? I promise you that if you obey God, you'll always be blessed. 100% of the time. Now, again, we give because we're commanded to give. We give because we love the gospel. And we give because he's worthy. And next week, we're going to take a look at our, our responsibility with the Great Commission around the world. And that ties in really nicely with the way that we're going to close out the book of Philippians this week. But the most important thing in the world here today is not giving. This isn't a capital push at the end of the year to raise our finances, to get ahead on our bills or anything like that. I just want you to be obedient. Our ushers have uh, commitment cards. Guys, would you grab those for me if you would, uh, those cards? We'll hand those out one per family. These are just kind of... Uh, practice, if you will. Uh, take a look at these. These are commitment cards where we're going to take next week. So don't fill them out this week. Don't turn them in this week. But this is a commitment to our missions program. And I just like to, again, goal that I'm setting for our church is by this time next year, we would have eight missions projects instead of four. We're going to double it in the next 12 months. But to do that, we need people that are committed to the cause. And so here's what I'd like to ask you to do. In the next 12 months, plan out your budget, plan out your missions giving, what you think you can give. And I would even challenge you with this, and again, figure out what you think you can give and maybe go a little bit above that by faith and say, I believe in the, the work of the gospel. I believe that people around the world need to know Jesus. Uh, just take one per family. And again, you're not filling these out today. We're going to fill them out next week, but the card's going to look just like this. 
There's a perforated section at the bottom where you can tear it off and keep for yourself. But notice there's nowhere on here for you to fill out your name, your address, your telephone number, your email address, because this is between you and the Lord. Uh, frankly, uh, it doesn't matter to me what you commit, but we're going to get those commitment cards and figure out what we can do as a church by faith in the next 12 months to get more missions projects that we help get the gospel around the world. That's our goal. And so to, if, if we get our commitment cards back and we say, here's X amount of dollars, we figure out how many missionaries we're going to support by faith. And then we're going to expect you to keep your end of the bargain, what you committed to. And again, no place for you to sign. Nobody's going to contact you that, hey, you haven't been making your commitment or anything like that. We just like to know so that we can plan and prepare. But we're going to hand these out next week, and we'll turn them in next week. But next week also is our missions offering. I would encourage everybody to bring something. Our missions offering is going to go to the Patrick family. They're our newest uh, missionary family. Uh, the Love Grows, we took a missionary offering at uh, Vacation Bible School and sent them $3,000 this summer. Uh, we also just sent them $2,000 to help them buy uh, chairs for their church. And so uh, we helped the Kopiaps uh, as well in Papua New Guinea as well do some things there uh, and so we have different mo mission projects we support but next week I want to encourage every single person to bring something if you've got kids in super church encourage them to bring something for the missions offering because all of us should do our part most important thing in the entire planet though is knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home do you know for sure if you died today that you're going to heaven has there been a time a date a place where you've been saved if not take care of that but for those of us that are Christians hey this isn't a weird message. This isn't awkward. This isn't uncomfortable. It's just part of what regular Christians do. We give. We're generous because our Father's generous. We love because our Father loves. We, we meet other people's needs because our Father met our needs where we were, and that's a joy and a benefit and a privilege. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.